Welcome to Charting the Course, a podcast from Full Sail Capital. We're a registered investment advisory firm committed to helping clients grow and manage generational wealth. We do this by focusing on integrity, competency, and transparency each and every day. No matter where you find yourself on the investing journey, our hope is that these conversations, stories, and interviews can empower and equip all investors with fresh insight and perspective on the capital markets. Thank you so much for joining us, and I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Well, welcome back to another Squared Away episode here as we look back on the first three quarters now of 2023, which is just crazy. Today, as we sit here in October, joined uh, this week by Zach Reynolds, our chief investment officer. And we're going to jump right in here and sit down and, and have a discussion over really a lot of Zach's thoughts. We just released our third quarter market update. As always, if you want a copy of that, let me know. We'll send you one. We'd love to, the, along with market info, we try to kind of highlight some of the happenings around our firm, articles you've written, other podcasts that have come out. So if you want to kind of stay up to date on everything Full sell, let me know. It's a great way to go. So Zach, let's dive in here. Uh, you hit on in, in the update, just general info, market sentiment. As we sit here today in October, we're still positive on the S&P 500, although the past couple of weeks have not felt that great. Right. Then we'll get into really kind of some of the meat of just the impact of higher rates, cash, uh, and I, we were talking off air, but just the conversation that we're starting to have around cash now. Right. And you brought up a good point that we'll get into here in a little bit, but let's start wherever you want, man. Market sentiment, what you're seeing, just some of your general thoughts as, as you sat down to really look over this uh, first three quarters. Yeah. Thanks, Tyler. There was no lack of things to write about this quarter. <laughs> <laughs> no. You know, we've had a active market. We've had, you know, people making cases on both sides, even what happens in the short run, which is always interesting to read. But as you know, I think very, very few to know people are able to predict where stocks are going to move in the short run uh, successfully over time. But, you know, it does matter. And right. things like interest rate changes absolutely affect prices of assets and affect how we construct portfolios and all those things. But, you know, generally speaking, the economy this year has remained really kind of surprisingly yeah, strong. Yeah. If we go back to thinking about where we were at the end of last year, a lot of people would have bet money and did bet money that we would be in a recession right now. There's some thought that, you know, the National Bureau of Economic Research, the NBER, may look back and if we go two quarters in the future, they may say we're in a recession. They may right declare so, it, yeah. But certainly earlier this year, if you look at things like GDP, if you look at corporate earnings, this is not being consistent with an economy in recession. So consumer has defied expectations. Uh, I do think there are signs that some of the COVID stimulus has been spent down at this yep. point, but the employment market is still pretty strong. Yeah, that's what's been interesting. And, and and one thing we've talked about, I think we've educated you in Austin at times have educated the listeners on the really the job of the Fed. Right. And so have they engineered that soft landing? It appears they may be pulling it off. We'll see. Yep. But as far as the rate hike and rate environment goes, you put a some data in the market update, but you you kind of think that what the future markets are implying, which right. is kind of our best way of estimating, right? I mean, right. for sure. So we'll see. I think the big question over the next yeah. six, 12 months is do we Did get the they? soft landing? Can the Fed kill inflation, which is still above their target, but it has come down substantially? 
Okay. You know, we're down in the threes. What has changed though, since the last time we sat down for a quarter in review yeah. is future markets are now expecting the Fed to hold rates higher for longer than previously expected. So to put some numbers around that, okay. you know, just a few weeks ago, markets were expecting the Fed about an 87% probability that they were going to cut rates by the June 2024 Fed meeting. Okay. As of today, that's less than 50%. So what the market is doing is they're looking forward and more and more people think, oh, because the economy has been so strong. Again, not because inflation is at seven, eight, nine percent anymore, right? But because the economy is so strong, the Fed doesn't feel like they've cooled things down enough. Right. That runs the risk that inflation reaccelerates, and they really don't want to see that. Yeah. What has happened in previous inflationary cycles is the Fed has seen inflation come down, and then they've taken their foot off the brake, and, right. and then it's reaccelerated as the economy kind of jumped back up. You know. There's some logic behind that. So I bet we all have friends who are thinking about buying a house. That's but yep. they may be waiting for those rates to come down. First sign of rates coming down, do they jump? And then, you know, that if accelerates do, right. economic activity and maybe that leads to more inflation. So there is some logic to that. The other number that I've been looking at is, you know, how long do rates stay high? And what is that neutral rate for the Fed over time? Okay. So if Two percent's the inflation target. We will never know exactly, but the, in geek speak, it's R star, the the neutral rate okay. for where where Fed funds should be. Okay. The idea behind the neutral rate is it's neither accommodative nor contractionary. Right. It's, it's just, neither loose nor tight. Okay. Right. It's just the rate at which inflation stays down and unemployment Limit. can be full, okay. which is the Fed's goal. If you have a two percent inflation rate, maybe the neutral rate is three percent, three and a half percent, somewhere in there maybe two and a half percent, so somewhere in that range. So how long is it going to take, as we sit here today, to get there? What markets are telling us is the Fed funds rate is likely to stay above 4.5 percent until 2025. So that means we have a multi-year glide path. If you take yeah. futures markets and what the Fed's dot plot says as likely to happen, it's the best thing we can go Which, off of right now. Other than guessing or making a, a bet. Exactly. However, I will say if you look back okay. at previous rate declines okay. when they're cutting rates, it is almost never a stair step function down over multiple years. <laughs> right. It is more. almost <laughs> always a dramatic something uh, triggers it. Something breaks, right? And so we've seen right. this over and over again. So I think there's kind of as it comes to portfolio construction, you have to keep a, a couple things in mind and we'll talk about this later when we we get to cash, but you can't just assume rates will come down steadily over time. If something were to go bump in the night, and we've had a couple examples, you know, within the last few years with COVID in particular, where the Fed took rates to zero yeah. effectively overnight. Yeah. They've done that before. They could do it again if we had a global financial crisis or something similar some, to that. Some other trigger. So with those higher rates most likely hanging around for potentially late 24, 2025, possibly, Let's talk a little bit about what the impact you've already hit on the mortgage industry. And I think that's where most people feel it. Yep. Those first time home buyers are walking out. They've probably either got to buy a house unless they want to rent. Or I think you see it a lot is the people that are not moving because they're in a, we've talked about it on here. They're in a two or 3% mortgage. They're not going to move. Right. Where else are you seeing some of the impact of these higher rates have an effect, STEM conversations, drive decisions? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think you know, there's there's two sides to the coin, and that's kind of the point I tried to make in the market update piece. Higher rates definitely can have a negative impact on the economy because, as you pointed out, consumers are going to pay more in interest. Yep. So 
I, one thing I did in the market updates, I ta- kind of quantified that when it comes to buying a home. Okay. So average home in the U.S. is about $450,000, median home. Okay. Obviously, California, that's on the low end. Oklahoma, that's on the high end, right? Split the difference. Right. right. But median home's $450,000. Mortgage rates were at 3% very recently. They're at 7% now. So what is the difference in cost to that consumer? It's about $1,000 a month. Okay. So what the National Association of Home Builders did is they said, okay, based on 3% mortgages and now 7%, you've got about 18 million American households that can no longer afford that median priced home. So that's a real economic impact that higher rates are having. The same is true on business side, right? One kind of interesting dynamic in the market is you've got, as we all know, very large companies have outperformed this year. And Their valuations are high, and we could talk about artificial intelligence and some of the reasons why. But another interesting factor that has played a part there is a lot of those large companies don't really need to borrow, but when they do borrow, they borrow at very low rates, and they've locked in those rates for a long period of time. Okay, Okay? right. So Apple and Google, I saw some Google bonds that were, uh, I think they were maturing in 2055 or 2060, and at a very, very low rate. So they locked in that low rate of debt, which is great for them. When you look at smaller companies, newer companies, Many of them have shorter duration debt, so they're going to have to pay that off sooner, or it's floating rate or it's something like that. The impact of higher interest rates are going to affect them much sooner than they will some of those bigger companies. So that's a negative impact as well. But importantly, (laughs) there's a positive impact to higher interest rates too. There are. And that's, you know, one thing that I heard for so many years (laughs) post-global financial crisis is... Everything that the government is doing, the Fed is doing, is at the expense of savers. And that was absolutely true, right? We were taking money out of savers' pockets when we took rates down to zero, and we were using it to stimulate the economy, to push people to go spend, all these things. Well, look at where we are now. You've got money market rates that are right at 5%. You've got U.S. Treasury bills that are, you know, for a U.S. investor, that's the risk-free rate, effectively, mm-hmm. over 5% on, yeah. the, on the short end. So if you have a very short-term goal, you can invest that money incredibly safely, earn around 5%, and that just wasn't possible. Also consider, Tyler, you've got inflation that's now at 3%. So 3% or so, right? Right. So if you're getting 5%, inflation's at three, that's a 2% real return. Think about where we were not too long ago. You had when inflation was low, you had inflation at two, but you had the savings rate or the savings yield at zero. Yeah. So you were losing 2% a year. Now you're gaining... 2% 2% a year. That's a 400 basis point. That's four percentage points. Sitting, better. In, the, sitting in the same. Sitting in the same vehicle. Right, right. Exactly. So like, I think that's a reason to be optimistic. It makes, and again, like our audience here and our clients at Full Sail Capital, they have wealth, right? And they're not typically borrowers, except to the extent that they're using leverage for sure. business Something. or so, some reason, right? They're not, they're not typically taking on consumer debt. Right, right. So for investors, savers, the fixed income side, the, the whether it's short term or longer term, is so much better today than what it's been. I know the headlines are not great right now and there are things that are scary. That's yeah. always true. But I'm just telling you from my seat, constructing portfolios, I'm very optimistic about what returns might be going forward when you think about the risk-free rate starting at 5%. And, and what the bond portion of your portfolio now is starting to offer and carry its weight. We've talked about that, I think, already the first two episodes of Squared Away this year. You know, a thought I had, I'd like to get your opinion on it. As we were having those conversations really over the past 10 years of why you can't just sit in cash for the reasons you just highlighted, then investors who may have wanted to sit in cash 
reluctantly went into the equity market, but also achieved fairly solid returns right. in the equity market up until really 20 last year, last year right. right? So yep. 22. Well, now that things are kind of a little bit more back, they've, they've kind of come back to the median. I, I almost feel like some of the investors who were reluctant to go into the equity market now have been spoiled because they're not getting those equity market returns, right. but they don't want to go sit and get 5% anymore. <laughs> so it's just, it goes back to the whole Morgan Housel and just our emotional tie to money. And we put a point on yep. a figure and that's what we mindset on our portfolio value or whatever. Yeah. I mean, wh one example I used in the market update piece was someone starting in 2013 who was going to save for college. And oh, yeah. yeah, this is the work that you do, Tyler, as an advisor and other advisors here. Okay, we have a goal in the future. We know about what that goal is going to cost. Now we need to figure out how we're going to earn a return based on the amount you can save Correct. Right. to achieve that goal, right? So let's say they need to earn 7% on that goal. Okay. In 2013, money yeah. market, U.S. Treasuries were less than 0.1%. It's crazy. That's not really an asset you can put in that portfolio right. and expect to, to achieve anywhere near 7%. So what that led everyone to was, hey, we got to take stock market risk because it looks like the only game in town. You know, that worked in the sense that stock returns were very good from 2013 through 2023, even including a terrible year in 2022. Yeah. But that sort of portfolio where let's say you were 80% in stocks and 20% in bonds over that time period, you had multiple 10% plus declines, including a 20% plus decline last yeah, year. Right. So that's a lot of volatility for what is an intermediate term goal. Let's think about today. We sit here in 2023. Let's say you need to achieve a 7% rate of return to send your kid to college in 2033, which, by the way, I will have a, college, I, a kid in college I, in 2033. I'm with yes, I like, believe you will as well. I got to start planning for myself. <laughs> That's right. So if we wanted to achieve that same rate of return, but now we've got a 5% risk-free rate, you've got a 10-year treasury that's approaching 5%, we can use a substantial amount of bonds in that portfolio. We'll still need some stocks to get there. Yeah. But the range of outcomes of that sort of portfolio is much tighter, right. which gives us greater confidence as people constructing the portfolio that we're going to achieve that goal. Because you know we never know about stocks. We yeah. know over a very long period of time, they're, they've create a ton of wealth. Yeah. There have been 10-year periods where stocks have negative rates of return. 10-year rolling periods uh, starting in the 1930s and then ending in right before 2010, 2008, 2009, yeah. where stocks were negative. So that's an important thing to keep in mind. So again, I kind of go back to, okay, if we can achieve a desired portfolio return with less risk, that's a great thing to be able to accomplish. That's how we think about portfolio yeah. construction. The other thing we talked about before we got started here is I pulled up kind of some stats we like to look at. And this this one goes back to 1970. There's also some studies that go back to 1926. But if you take just the stock market, the U.S. stock market, it's experienced positive returns 56% of the time on a daily basis. So that means almost half the days in the market right. or half the days in the year, the market's up half yep. the days of the year, they're down. If you stretch it out to a 10-year basis though, it's 95% of the time, not right. 100 to your right. point, 5% of the time yep. you're on a 10-year basis, you can have a negative return. Right. But you stretch that out to a 20-year basis, 20-year time horizon or time period, it's 100% of the time. And there's not much we can do in our world that we can, I mean, we can't even say the word guarantee on here. So <laughs> I, I need like a beat button. But to be able to look back to 1926 and say that 100% of the time, if you have a 20 year time horizon, and this goes all, and we're gonna get into this in a second, but yep. that's that's pretty comforting. But then the flip side is day to day, it's a toss up, it's a coin flip. Absolutely, that's why like 
time horizon is so important. And I think it's maybe underestimated a little bit, particularly in this new environment we're in. Just the playing field has changed dramatically. It has. Right? Again, going back 10 years, you pretty it was pretty much how much stock do you want to have? Is it 60%, 70%, 80%, 90%, 100%? Yeah, right? it really was. It's kind of what it was. Today, it's totally different. If you've got, you know, a tax bill due within a year or so, great. Let's buy U.S. Treasuries. Let's be in money market. We'll earn 5%. If you have an intermediate term goal, like we talked about with college, maybe that's, you know, mostly bonds. It's entirely possible to do that. If you are, you know, saving for retirement and you've got a 30 year plus time horizon, it's very likely most of your portfolio should be in stocks. And we can feel good looking at those historical numbers that you just brought up. I think we're reading the same piece, but I, th- I think another point, I think it's Ben Carlson who makes, yeah. who puts those charts out, but he also shows the worst return over X number of a 10 year, 20 year, 30 year. Right. I think the worst rolling 30 year return in the stock market was like 8%, which means you're doubling your money every nine years. At worst. At worst. Right? <laughs> at worst. Right. So like, that's why, even though, you know, if you're out there listening and 2022 was a roller coaster in stocks, 2023 has been a bit of a roller coaster too. This is the price we pay for if you stay invested long enough, you're, you yep. historically speaking, you have been very well rewarded yeah. for taking on the risks that we're experiencing now and in 2022. Yeah. Okay. So another question you posed in our market update is, well, why not hang, in, hang out because we've really set the table for cash and short-term yep. rates. Why not hang out in cash until it looks safer? You define safer, whatever, yep. you, whatever you want it to be, until it looks safer to invest in stocks or bonds because the interest rate environment and all that. So it, it's this whole conversation we're having around cash. Yep. So let's think about one reason why people would say that. And there's, there's some logic, right? So short-term rates, 5%. We can sit in money market that's daily liquid okay. and doesn't really fluctuate in value to any great degree and earn 5%. If you go out five years, you're going to earn less than 5%. So so the yield curve is inverted. Okay, right. Future rates as you go out are a little bit lower. It's almost a little bit U-shaped because once you go out 10 years plus, rates start going back up. But but regardless, any person who looks at that goes, well, well why would I take the risk of going out further you know, a few years yep. rather than getting 5%? Again, reasonable question. The most important answer I can give you is duration. So duration is a measure of interest rate sensitivity of an investment. Money markets have effectively zero duration because they're daily liquid. As you go out in time, though, you're locking in that rate. When rates are rising, it's better to have short duration or zero duration because you're going to immediately benefit from those interest rate increases. Feel it quicker by holding a shorter duration. And so for the, you know, 10 years post-global financial crisis, a lot of people were very short duration waiting for rates to go up. Right. That tended to cost them over that time period yep. too because they're making a bet on interest rate changes. That's hard to do. But the flip side is true too. If rates go down, duration benefits you. So yep. right now we can go out and buy a 10-year treasury at 4.7%. Okay. That is, you're going to give up a little bit of income today relative to money market funds. Okay. What you have to understand though is as those money market yields come down and they will come down quick, potentially, if the Fed starts cutting rates, that right. 10 year treasury, it's locked it's in. Locked in. You've locked in that rate. And so yeah. that's the way we look at it. Yes, you give up a little bit now, but you're locking in higher rates in the future. And like any investing, it comes with some risk. Yep. Could 10 year rates go up to 5% or 6%? It's certainly possible. They've been there before. Yeah. You know, I've said this on the podcast before. I think there are 
good reasons to believe that the U.S. economy is not going to support rates that high going forward. That's super high growth type of interest rate for what you'd expect in more like an emerging economy. Developed mature economy is unlikely to have rates that high. Barring, you know, something crazy or, you know, at some point does our debt get to the point where we're having trouble servicing it right now? It's not a problem. And I will say there are lots of people out there who will make the case that that could eventually come true. I would say go look at a place like Japan that has a much less dynamic economy. They have multiples of our uh, debt relative to, to GDP. If you look okay, at it, right, right. they're 300%, I think. And they've had Jeez. rates much lower than ours for okay. a long time. So a, a developed economy can have a, a very high debt load and not have a debt crisis necessarily. Right. It, it, Japan has shown that. And I think one of the other things that, and and we can kind of end with it, but it's such it's it's such a key conversation of yes, you can make a great decision right now, and if you would have made the decision to to hold more cash in June, and then stay there for yep. the past few months, you would have probably been rewarded. The hardest thing to do is not to know when to go to cash; it's to when to take the cash out and go into the market because it's going to feel like it's the worst time to do it. Absolutely right. There's no all clear signal ever given in markets. And people, you know, it's classic. We've had a lot of behavioral finance folks on the podcast and it's just classic, right? The time that someone who plays that market timing game and they're sitting in cash, the time they'll go buy stocks is after they've gone up 20, 25, 30%. We see it over and over again. That's when people want to get aggressive. That's absolutely the wrong thing to do. We know that the best time to buy is when it feels the worst. And, you know, it doesn't feel great right now. I mean, we've got a, you know, U.S. house that now is speakerless and auto strikes. And, you know, we can go down the line. But, Tyler, what I love about walking in your office, I see the big picture, right, of stocks, bonds, cash, returns over time. And it has noted all the disasters, you know, pandemics, Vietnam War, president impeached multiple times. I mean, all the assassinations, all the things that have gone wrong over over time. But, you know, when you boil it down to its simplest, do you believe in free market capitalism? Yep. Right? I I do. do. I do. I think it's going to work over time. I still think we have the greatest country in the world. Agreed. I think technology is likely to make companies, employees more productive over time, Mm -hmm. which that accrues to wealth to investors as well. I think there are reasons to be optimistic as we sit here today. And I, you know, I'm certain there are reasons to be optimistic if you have some bonds in your portfolio, because bonds are much more about math than they are about emotion or valuation. Stocks, that is very dependent on how people feel, what they're willing to pay for a dollar of earnings. Right now, S&P is 21 times roughly. People can argue that should be 15. And if they're right, that's a, you know, 20, 25, 30% decline and nothing changes. Companies are still earning the same amount. Bond math is very different. It's, (laughs) hey, what's my yield? Maybe there's some premium there if you're buying corporate bonds for default risk and things like that, term risk, but it's math. And, you know, when you're buying U.S. treasuries, as long as you assume the U.S. government isn't going to default and remember they can print the world's reserve (laughs) currency in the dollar. So I promise you they're not defaulting. I I won't say guarantee, Tyler, because I'll get beat too, but I'm I'm pretty confident the U.S. government's going to pay its debts as long as the dollar is the world reserve currency. So I think there are reasons to be optimistic. We had clients even this year bringing in fresh cash. They sold a business. I'm like, man, I'm pretty excited to see as we sit here in 2023, looking back and we will have ups and downs, no question about it. But when we're in 2033 and we're looking back at what the 10 year returns were, I think we've got a much 
higher baseline than before because the risk-free rate is higher. It's higher. And that's what I talk about in the market update. And as you said, happy to share that if anyone out there uh, wants to. Oh, no doubt. We'll close with this stat right here too. Another Ben Carlson. But if you look at intra-year drawdowns, you can go back to 1928. I I like the numbers that go back to 1950 because it gets rid of the 1930s, which were atrocious. So if you even do you take the bad 1930s out of it and you just go back to 1950, an average intra-year drawdown. So every single year you're going to have a drawdown of this number is 13.5%. Right. That's just on average. And we know investors feel and it's hard and it sucks to have years like last year. So that was a down year. But the other flip side is just intra-year drawdowns are 13.5% on average. I think one of the major things we do around here is to help people understand, to your point, and really what we've talked about this this whole episode, is your time horizon and your investment goals really are the two things that matter the most. Right. Because then from there, we build around it. The way I like to think about it, let's go back to, I've had this conversation starting out in 2008 when things were falling. But think about reasons why people might sell. Okay. So if you're selling stock because the market's going down, you're selling it because you're afraid, right? Mm -hmm. Someone else is buying that stock that you're selling. So I always think, okay, there's a wealth transfer going on there Yep. in those times of, of panic selling from the seller to the buyer. And that always makes me feel much better about buying during those periods of time. Now, am I going to get it exactly right? Absolutely not. We can't time the market. But when we're just doing our rebalancing, which is what we do when markets go down, I I really truly believe, and history backs me up, that we're just transferring wealth from people who have the patience and the time horizon to buy. And they're, they're getting that wealth from the people who panic and don't have the, or they haven't figured out the right time horizon. And again, one thing, you know, I know you got, you have yeah. as advisors, the rest of our advisors, the conversation they have with clients is what is the objective of this money? And if it's a long-term retirement goal, then we are not worried about what's going on today. Yeah. It's stocks are down. It's, it doesn't matter because that's not your objective. Your objective is long-term in nature. If it's short-term, well, then something's wrong, right? We shouldn't have that money in stocks. We should be in safer assets. And there are great alternative safer assets today. Especially today. Exactly. Right? I always like to try to help people frame it in the idea of think about your money as a foundation or an endowment, because we do work with a lot of those types of groups. And it's funny, those groups, those individuals are a little less likely to freak out, if you will, right? (laughs) Because they know there's an IPS involved, an investment policy statement. There's time horizon. It's in perpetuity. We know that our investors- it's not their money, right? It's not their money. it's, They might be trustees, but there's just that little bit of remove where they go, okay, I, I have to act professionally here. Yes. It's I not going to affect my life, yeah. my retirement. But It is know, so hard to do, though, for an is, individual investor. It's so, so hard to do. And we've talked about it in the office. It's hard for us to do. So yes. yeah. we're, we are no different than any of our clients or any other investors out there. So, But again, our, our hope with these conversations is that it just opens, hopefully opens people's eyes, helps reset a little bit. We're not trying to say everything's rosy. We've talked a lot about the reasons why it's not rosy, but there are good things that are going on. There's been some good things that are happening, short-term, fixed income, all that jazz. Zach, anything else here as we wrap up? Nope. I would just say, as you're thinking about, as you're watching the news, remember there are some silver lines to a lot of these things that happen. And and higher interest rates is is just such a clear one that if you're a wealth creator, if you're a saver, you're going to benefit in some ways uh, from higher rates. Couldn't agree more. 
Zach, I appreciate it. Thank you, Tyler. For our listeners, again, if you would like a copy of the market update, if you have any questions for us, uh, let us know. Shoot us an email and go to the website, send a uh, submission in, and uh, we'll make sure we get back to you. So everybody have a great week. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed today's conversation, don't forget to review and subscribe to your preferred podcast platform. Have a great week. All opinions expressed by the host and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Full Sail Capital. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of Full Sail may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast.